Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. The legends are true! Overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny! Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. On tonight's episode, I'm pausing the true crime stories to bring you a special 1 million downloads celebration. I started Serial Napper in April of 2020, literally at the very beginning of the lockdown while I was still living in Tokyo, Japan. At that point, everything in the city had been shut down. Everyone was encouraged to stay home, and I was bored out of my mind. I started with listening to basically every true crime podcast out there, and then I thought, I don't want to just listen to these cases. I want to join the conversation. I want to talk about them. And how hard can it be to start a podcast? Oh, by the way, I also have ADHD, so this was definitely one of my little passion projects. And the answer is no, it's not hard to start a podcast, but it is a big commitment. Little did I know people would actually want to listen to this little true crime podcast of mine. And that's basically how Serial Napper was born. Now I'm three years into this podcasting thing and I couldn't imagine not doing this anymore. So thank you for taking the time to listen. I know there are so many amazing true crime podcasts out there, so the fact that you take time to listen to mine, it means the world to me. I've had a lot of people ask how they can support me, support the podcast, and to that I say just by listening and recommending me. If you see someone online or in person asking for true crime podcast suggestions, mentioning Serial Napper as an option really helps my show and it's free. I used to have a Patreon membership and you've probably heard mention of that in older episodes because I haven't had a chance to remove it, but I did get rid of that and I got rid of it basically so that I could offer more free content. I have a really difficult time paying attention, which is why I like my podcasts with very little to no banter. Every episode of Serial Napper is told succinctly the way that it happened, just the facts. 
Some people like this, and hopefully you do, while others have complained that it doesn't really give them an opportunity to get to know me as a host. So I opened up the floor to you, where you could ask me whatever you wanted to know, obviously within reason. I had a bunch of questions come in, with the first one being, what case has stuck with you the most? So let's get right to my favorite episodes, meaning the stories that have kept me up at night long after I finished researching them. Number one is the Reddit murders. This is going way, way, way back to the early days of my podcast. This story was recommended to me by the very same person who designed my cover art, and it's a story that I will never forget. Jason Worley was a software engineer who turned to the internet. Specifically, he turned to Reddit. He wanted some marital advice. He wanted some marital advice only to have his entire life destroyed by an absolutely vile woman. Here's the clip. Now I'm going to read you Jason's full Reddit post out loud, and I'm also going to include a link to the full post in my show notes so that you can, you know, reread it, review it, take from it what you will. The post has been archived from the 28th of October, 2016. But like I mentioned, the internet is forever. Okay, here it goes. I caught my wife cheating on me over a year ago. I stayed with her for the sake of our children, but I haven't been able to get it off of my mind since. It has been 476 days since I confronted her about it. How do I know? Because every time I catch myself thinking about it, I tell myself it's only been X days. Maybe you won't think about it tomorrow. So to go back to the beginning, I had just taken on a new project and new responsibilities at work. I was working a lot of hours, like 60 plus per week, and was noticeably stressed. It was in May of 2015 that I noticed that she had added a password to her phone. When confronted about it, she told me it was because she was planning my Father's Day present and didn't want me to ruin the surprise. About a week later, she came to me and told me that she felt guilty keeping a big secret from me and told me that she was having our neighbor, a contractor, build a home office for me as my present. It struck me as odd, as in our six years together, she has never said she felt guilty about anything and always insists that she never regrets anything in her life. Time goes on, her phone is still password protected, and things don't feel right. I see her using her phone and smiling to herself more and more often, but when I ask her what she is doing, she says nothing and puts her phone away. So one morning, I wait for her to get in the shower, and I grab her phone before it requires the password. I go through her messages and find that she is texting the neighbor. I am all covered in frosting. You want to lick it off? There were no other messages to the neighbor, but I found out later that was because she had set up her phone to delete messages after a certain amount of time. I felt uncomfortable with it, but I knew she had a perverted sense of humor, and I thought she would never do anything to hurt me. More time goes by, and the neighbor is spending more and more time at our house, but the office is being completed slower and slower. I can't help but worry that something isn't right, so I start checking her location using Google Timeline. 
It was at this point that I realized that there are large gaps in her GPS history because she was turning off her phone's GPS. Fast forward to July, and at this point, the paranoia is driving me nuts, so I tell her that I need to install new antivirus on her phone. While she has it unlocked for me to install the anti-theft software so I can remotely turn the GPS back on and set up AT&T message backup and restore so I can read all of her text messages from that point on my computer. The next day, my mother asks to spend time with my two kids, so my wife drops them off with her and has the day to herself. I watch my wife's activity from work as she spends the day trying to meet up with the neighbor, but is unsuccessful because he is busy with another job site. That night, we get the kids back from my mom's house, and we go out to dinner with the neighbor, his girlfriend, and his son. My wife and his girlfriend are having a good time drinking, laughing, and just joking around. His girlfriend mentions that she would like to go see Magic Mike XXL, I say, it's a good idea, and I'll watch the kids so my wife and her can go. So my wife and her go, and the neighbor and I go back to my house so the kids can play video games together. The kids are back in my son's room playing games, and the neighbor is sitting across from me on the other couch. It is at this point that my wife starts texting him. She is describing sex acts that she would like to perform with him, and he is reciprocating. She tells him to check his Snapchat, and at the same time, I get a Snapchat from her too. It is her fingering herself in a bathroom stall. They keep talking, trying to figure out when they can meet up and have sex. They decide on Monday morning after I go to work. So in my head, I had already planned to pretend to leave and circle back to catch them. But then they tell each other that they love each other, and it's all I can do to not leap off the couch and knock him out. But I contain myself and continue reading the conversation unfolding in front of me. Then he tells her, you're my girl now, to which she replies, always have been, ending with him writing, and always will be. My wife and the neighbor's girlfriend return from the movie, and I ask them politely to sit down. I then ask the kids to stay in my son's room and shut the door. I return to the living room and confront my wife and the neighbor. I say, so, you two love each other, huh? My wife goes into full-blown denial mode, and the neighbor's girlfriend starts smacking him. I ask my wife if she has been texting him, and she says no. So, I show her the text messages. She admits to it, but says it was the first time it had gone that far. I asked my wife if she has sent him pictures, and she says no. So I show her the picture, and she admits, but she says it was the first time. I ask her if she is having sex with him, and she says no. Because I didn't wait to catch them having sex together, I didn't have any evidence to prove her wrong, so that one stayed unresolved. I tell her that I am leaving her. She tells me that she will make sure I never see my kids again if I do. She planned on using the fact that I had attempted suicide in high school to prove me unfit to have the children. She continues to say that it was my fault for being so busy with work and stressed out, that she just wanted someone she could talk to. Then she gives me an ultimatum to decide what I'm going to do, or she will decide for me. 
The neighbor's girlfriend starts defending the two of them, saying that it couldn't have been serious if they weren't having sex, and that my wife and I are too perfect together to let this break us up. The neighbors go home, and my wife and I argue for the rest of the night about what we are going to do. We go to bed separately, having not resolved anything. We keep going back and forth on the subject all weekend and finally settle on we were going to separate temporarily while we figure out what we want. I was going to stay in the house and she was going to take the kids and go to her mom's house. That Monday, I go to work and I get a text from her in the middle of a meeting with my bosses stating that she had explained things to our kids, but they were upset and I need to explain it to them also. I get home from work to find my kids crying. She had told them that mommy had to move out because dad was mad at her. When my son wanted to stay with me, she told him that he can't. My son put it together that if mommy has to move out because I'm mad at her and he must move out, then I must have been mad at him too. It was at this moment I realized she was going to drag the kids through hell if I left her, so I swallowed my feelings and begged her to stay. She agreed and insisted that I apologize to our neighbor, since we were all still going to need to hang out with them because our sons were good friends. I hate it, but I do it anyway. We still hang out with them from time to time, they come to our various birthday and holiday parties, But I'd do anything for my kids, and I behave civil every time. Things die down for a while. I still think about it constantly. I worry, how can I keep from making her so unhappy that she cheats on me again? Then, almost a year from the original incident, around Father's Day again, she sends him pictures again. She claims it was an accident, that she meant to send them to me instead. I don't fully believe her, but I move on anyway. Things have been quiet on that front for about four months now, but I still think about it constantly. This is going to sound stupid, but I feel like I have a part of my brain that I can't shut off, that is always thinking. I used to use that to solve programming problems, and it made me very good at my job, But ever since this incident, the only thing it makes me think about is her and him and if I did the right thing. My job performance has suffered, and I feel like I haven't gotten sleep in months. I'm afraid that after this much time and the fact that I begged her back, that to say that I want a divorce now would only make her more vindictive towards my children and I. I just feel like I have put myself so deep in a hole that I can never get back out. I haven't really talked to anyone about this. I didn't want to talk to my mom about it because I felt she would treat my wife differently and I didn't need the two of them fighting any more than they already do. I tried talking to one friend about it, but his best advice was to put my trust in God, but that was not much solace for me as I am an atheist. So, I have no clue what to do with my feelings or how to move on from this. Number two would be the preventable double homicide of Mikhail and Noah, which highlights the issues with the sex offender registry in Canada. 
Many people believe the murders of this mother and her baby, it was completely avoidable and preventable if only Canada had different privacy laws around the registry. Either way, this mother and her baby did not deserve what happened to them, and it's something that I think about often. We never really know who our neighbors are. We never know who our coworkers are. We just don't know anybody. The family would move around from place to place wherever Cody was needed before finally settling into a new apartment in Hinton, Alberta in September of 2021. This move was supposed to be an exciting start of something new and good. They had previously been living in a trailer and Mikhail had found it to be a little tight on space, so they were happy to finally have their own apartment to move around in. Just a couple of weeks later, this start of something new and good would turn into one of the most horrific nightmares that you could ever imagine. On the morning of September 15th, 2021, Mikhail decided to take little Noah to the park nearby. When they returned to their apartment building around noon, Mikhail would have a conversation with the building manager. According to an agreed statement of facts, the building manager asked Mikhail to clean up some dirt and mud that was on the floor in the hall and the stairwell near their unit. The building manager believed that the dirt had come from Cody's work boots. A fellow neighbor named Robert Keith Major, who also lived in the building and actually shared a wall with Mikhail and Cody, overheard the conversation between the building manager and Mikhail, and he offered to clean up the mess for her. Mikhail gladly accepted the help because Cody was at work, so she was busy taking care of Noah. So she returned to her unit to make lunch and put Noah down for a nap. Later that evening, when Cody returned home from work, he found his apartment completely empty. No Mikhail and no Noah, which was obviously concerning. He couldn't reach her by phone, and there was no indication of where the pair might be. There was raw food sitting on the kitchen counter, and it looked like someone had been cooking, but they were interrupted. Mikhail's car was still parked outside, and Noah's stroller was in the apartment, so it didn't appear as if they had gone anywhere. Cody called the RCMP to report them missing, and there was a search of the area and canvassing of residents who also lived in the same apartment building. One of the doors that police knocked on was that of Robert Keith Major, the neighbor who had offered to clean up the mud on the floors for Mikhail earlier in the day. He claimed that just a few hours earlier, he saw Mikhail run out of the apartment building crying and get into her car. The police decided to have a look at the apartment building surveillance video footage, and while they didn't see Mikhail or Noah leaving the building, they did see something else that looked suspicious to them. On the day of the disappearance, Robert Keith Major was seen carrying out two large garbage bags and tossing them directly into the dumpster. And now this is where I should probably pause and give you a trigger warning. As I said at the beginning of the episode, this case is very disturbing. Both of these episodes are available on the podcast, but you might need to scroll back a bit. Don't go too far though. I mean, my audio, I hope, has come a long way since the very beginning. I would hope that I've gotten better, but the beginnings of Serial Napper are not pretty. The next question I received was, why did you stop signing off the episodes with Don't Be a Dahmer? And I actually get this question a lot. 
When I first started Serial Napper, all I really wanted to do was share stories. Stories of survival, stories from families who were searching for answers. It's always been about the storytelling. That's what has appealed to me. Sharing stories from others who have experienced things that we can only hope to never experience ourselves. But then also finding common ground in those human experiences. Don't be a Dahmer was just a sign off that my husband came up with. It was just going to be a way for me to finish off each story and it was catchy or whatever. But when I started researching these cases, reading victim impact statements and listening to interviews with actual family members, I felt like I wanted to do more than just tell stories. I wanted to advocate for victims through each episode that I tell. There is a ton of true crime content out there that glorifies serial killers and other monsters. And then there's true crime content that is told through a victim-centric lens. The don't be a Dahmer sign-off, it started to feel trivial when I was talking about these really serious and horrible crimes and experiences. I don't want to talk about Dahmer or any more of these monsters any more than necessary, so it had to go. I don't always get it right. I know that. I'll be the first one to admit that. Sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I say things that come across the wrong way. But I promise I'll continue to learn and grow and always strive to do better. Question number three was, do you take case suggestions and recommendations? And the answer is yes, but with a caveat. Sometimes people will send me really old cases or cases from their small town, and unfortunately there just isn't enough public information available to me in order to pull together an entire episode. The way I pick my cases is like this. I have a giant running list of stories that I would like to cover in future episodes. Each week I sit down, I look at this enormous list, and I pick out my cases, one or two. I don't do any planning further ahead than that because it all really depends on how I'm feeling mentally at the time, whether or not I can handle researching the details of a specific case. Child murders in particular are emotionally taxing, and if I'm already having a really difficult week, then I tend to push these types of cases out further. Obviously, all of the stories that I cover are really horrible and really difficult to read about, so sometimes episodes get delayed or removed from the list altogether. So to summarize, yes, totally send me your case suggestions. It's gonna go on the list and then hopefully I get a chance to cover it in a future episode. But if you don't hear something that you've sent me, that's probably why. I've got one last question here, which is great because then I can sneak back to the darkness that I came from and actually create some new content for you. The last question reads, other than true crime related things, what do you like to do for fun? Honestly, I've been a pretty miserable human being for the past year since I moved back to Canada from Japan. The vast majority of the fun and happiness that I have is when I'm with my kids, just going out to grab dinner or playing Sackboy on the PlayStation. I used to love traveling and trying new food and drink and experiencing new cultures, and hopefully I get to do that again someday in the future, but for now, I hardly leave the house, so this is kind of it. I also love reading, music is life, Stardew Valley has my heart, other than that, naps? 
Honestly, guys, this is why my show is scripted and I keep myself out of the podcast. Nothing really to see here. Just a girl with a microphone and a true crime podcast. So that's it for me tonight. I'll be back in a few days with my regularly scheduled true crime content so I don't bore you again to death. But just know if you ever have any questions for me, you can always reach out. People tend to send me messages like, oh, I don't know if you'll see this or you're too busy to respond. No, literally, I'm not at all. I'm here. So reach out. If you're looking for a way to get in touch, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. I'm on Twitter or X or whatever it is now, but I'm there at Serial underscore Napper. I'm also on Instagram. I'm kind of on threads, sort of a little bit. And my username there is Serial Napper Nick. So don't be shy. Until next time, sweet dreams, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye.